Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. We hope you are doing well, and I come bearing good news. We have, as of a week ago, officially passed 40,000 downloads total of Absurdity. Ooh. So we... We are doing well. 40,000 downloads. The hope is that by 100 episodes, we can have 100,000 downloads. Uh, that would be amazing. That would actually total us out to about 1,000 downloads per episode. Per episode, yeah. Uh, average on average, yeah. yeah. So that's that's kind of the hope. That's the goal. But I'm So we're catching I, up. We're closing that gap. Honestly, I'm amazed where not only we're not running out of material. Well, it's kind of like... People keep doing stuff, so you're never going to run out of material. You know, <laughs> yeah, like all of the exactly. political shows. You know, they, you know, if the old school Colbert Report or the late night show now or the late show, um, and you know, the Daily Show, things like that. Like politicians are never going to stop doing dumb things. So we're there's an endless supply of material for them. Kind of the same for us. Like church people going to church people. So yep. we're going to keep having stuff. But it's just yeah, it's so cool to me that we're we're staying strong. Like, this is. It's fun. Yeah, it's crazy. I, thought we would I also struggle a lot more. I need to fact check myself because I claimed a few weeks ago that we have the longest running or like the most podcast episodes, and that actually was false. I forgot about one, but they haven't posted in a while, so I'm not sure if they're going to keep going. But it's Mission Lab with Sean Brace and Camille Brace. They're actually the last time I checked a week ago was episode 69, so they're still ahead of us. Um, and I want to give credit to where credit's due because their podcast is amazing. I've just been so distracted. I haven't listened to it lately, yeah. but it's been great. So, um, shout out to you guys and what you're doing on mission lab. It's amazing. Yeah. I don't even know if you listen to absurdity. So, oh, well, um, if he but, doesn't, I can tell I'm, I'm good friends with him. So he's a, he's a really good guy. Yeah. They're both really good so, people. Um, but Sean's let it a, be known really that guy. I am honest about when I get things wrong. Um, just so we're clear on that. I, I realized it recently. So um, the other thing, just before we dive into today's episode is, and I'm realizing that as, as I've been advertising for Patreon, uh, I, I realize that people may not know what Patreon actually is. So uh, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast is where you can go to actually support this podcast financially. The hope is that we have enough Patreons that we no longer have to get ads. Does that make sense? So I'd like to be able to make that trade off. Uh, so for patrons to become a patron, it basically think of Patreon as like a monthly version of Kickstarter or GoFundMe, where you are pledging a, a dollar amount monthly to a creator for the content that they're putting out. Uh, so several podcasts are doing this. YouTube channels are doing this. Justin Koo with That Christian Vlogger is doing it. Disruptive Adventism has one. Um, Adventist History Podcast now has one. So there there are Patreon uh, Patreons for all these different content creators. And the idea is that if you want to support the people that you're consuming content from, that's the way to give. And every dollar helps. And so all you do is go make an account, select what 
amount you want to pledge. It links right up to your card and it's an auto debit. So you don't even have to worry about, about it. And, um, and how much you give is private. So no one ever has to know what, what, how much you're giving or anything like that. Yeah. So if you want to support what we're doing here on absurdity, I would really appreciate it. Patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. So with that, Tony, now that you are in Arizona, which is known for our loudest episodes because someone's always doing dishes in the background at your house. Um, we're we're going to dive in to the Adventist Revolution. Three minutes and 50 seconds into the episode, we're, di- we're diving into the topic. So we're getting better. Let's, we're getting, we're getting yeah, we, we, are bidding, we are getting so much better. So um, let's, let's talk about this. Adventist Revolution. So... In light of the GC stuff that's happened, in light of the NAD stuff that's happened, which if you don't know those episodes, A57, A58, and A61 will have all the information you want. Um, We took a break in covering A62 is about mental health. That's last week's. So now we're back to GC stuff for a bit. Um, But basically, in response to stuff that has happened at the GC level, the general conference level, with the compliance document, with the unity stuff, all those different conversations... Uh, a man by the name of Michael Polite has decided to launch a campaign that he's calling the Adventist Revolution. Hashtag Adventist Revolution. So before we dive into the videos themselves, Tony, as you finish this yawn, can you give us a rundown on who Michael Polite is? No, they can't see us. You didn't need to do that. You'll need a drag. I know, but I want <laughs> I like narrating what's happening in sight. I feel like, a, pretty like a golf commentary. He's setting up. For the explanation, he is bending towards the mic. Uh, all right, so Michael Polite <laughs> uh, is the senior pastor at the New Life Seventh Adventist Church, uh, which is a a congregation that meets uh, a Seventh Adventist congregation that meets in the seminary building uh, for the majority of the year. Every once in a while, uh, they will have to move to a secondary location, um, but they meet uh, at Andrews Campus. Um, and in addition to being their senior pastor, he is one of the chaplains uh, at Andrews University. Um, because they have such a large university, they have multiple chaplains. So I think they have three or four. Um, he is not the lead chaplain, but he is one of the chaplains that's been there. Um, I think going on five or six years now. He was there when my sister was there, and she was there about five, six years ago. So um, at least five or six years he's been there. And, uh, yeah, so he's a, a black man, um, and he's been quite outspoken about, uh, for instance, the uh, what was it the the video that came out a few years ago about it's time or something? It was a, it's oh, time. it's time AU the Andrews yeah, University it's time thing. AU. I was very outspoken in his support of that uh, whole movement. Um, he's been very outspoken about uh, some of the dis- uh, uh, the the need for the diversity. So he's worked a lot with Michael Nixon. Um, I shouldn't say that I, he supported Michael Nixon um, kind of in his decision to, to uh, uh, be the diversity uh, vice or the vice president for diversity and inclusion um, and giving him a lot of support and, and help. Um, but I wouldn't say he runs, you know, he's, it's not like a partnership, like that's uh, uh, Michael Nixon's job and he, he runs it really well on his own, but he's given a lot of support for that and said, this is something we need. This is something that's good. Um, and he's an excellent preacher. That's the other thing. I've heard him a couple times. Very good preacher. Um, excellent speaker. And so that's that's who he is. Gotcha. Okay. And and just so we're clear, we're not saying any of that is a bad thing. No, 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 um, no. I'm just, just like, so that, like, to give yeah, a background just, behind, just, like... Exactly. Exactly. This isn't um, his first time. This isn't kind of coming out of left field. Like, he's kind of provided a history of, like, hey, you know, this is an issue. We need to talk about it. And he's And he's been very vocal about that. And uh, just to be clear, as we talk about this, there is a link to a Spectrum article in the episode description, so you can go watch these two videos yourself as I kind of dive into them today. Uh, One thing I want to reiterate every time that I link a Spectrum article is this. The reason that we link to Spectrum is because when it comes to reporting on the facts of an event that has happened, they do well about keeping opinions out. So when it comes to like reporting just like hard objective, like this happened and this is a link to it, they're great about that. So if you have a problem with Spectrum because of opinion pieces, oh well. Um, well, and they the do well for is, this. I mean, a lot of other times you don't get articles written by the other. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Adventist Review doesn't really write about things that happen. 
they write about like, oh, hey, check this missionary thing or this is the new objective. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't really report the news as much as they announce or highlight things that they want to bring about. Um, same with yep. Advance Today and other things like that. Like they don't really, they're not really reporting. That's not their main focus versus Spectrum. That's kind of their main thing is we want to, here's what's happening. Um, yeah. Which is just why we use it more. Yep, exactly. So you can go look at the videos. You can read Spectrum's write up about it. No problem. I'm sure you can use your source. Many of you have already heard of this or talking about it. So we wanted to give our thoughts on this and kind of dive into this. So uh, the videos, they're black and white, and it's literally just Michael Polite talking to the screen, to the camera, and with some music behind him. It's that kind of, and it's a call to action. That's what these videos are. They're a call to action. So part one sets the tone. Part one create, gives us some history, gives us some understanding of why we need this, what is the current situation, and he opens with he opens with a line, and we're gonna kind of take this, I guess, point by point. I don't, you know, I'm uh, not gonna yeah. go every single thing he says. Um, we're gonna assume that you are going to either watch the videos or have seen the videos, but we'll go yep. point by point, like a running commentary, yep. so that you can kind of, if you haven't seen them, you can kind of get an idea. Um, but you, just, we recommend you watch them. Yep, and these were released in October after after annual council. So. Yes, they've been around um, for a bit. Uh, individuals, this is, this is how he, this is how he launches. He says at the general conference session in or the general conference annual council in 2018 in October, individuals came together and argued on both sides about whether or not the Seventh-day Adventist church was in danger of being fractured by different streams of thought. And then he moves into a discussion about unity versus uniformity. Now here's, uh, as, as I talk about this, it's worth noting that my overall platform, just so all the, the, the cat's out of the bag on this, I agree with like 90% of what he's trying to do here. <laughs> Actually, with what he's trying to do in general, I agree with most of it. Like, I agree, I, in essence, there are a few things here or there that as I watch these videos and as I, as I talk about this Adventist revolution that I have some concerns about and some issues with. Um, and this first line, unfortunately, falls into that category for me personally. I don't know about you, Tony. Um, which is, I don't know whether that was really the discussion that was happening at annual council. Like, so part of this is he's opening this video by framing the situation, right? And if you're gonna if you're gonna paint a picture of what's going on, I don't. I think he's trying to thematically explain what was happening, but I don't even know that that was the discussion. If the danger is being fractured, if, if, if the SDA church was in danger of being fractured by different streams of thought, I don't think that was the discussion. The discussion was how do we handle noncompliance? And that isn't being like those yeah. two things are not that as related as I think that that framing I, I, tries to make them. I think thematically what he's he's kind of bringing an annual council as like an extension of the 2015 GC vote. Um, which go listen to a, it's episode, I think, 19? 17. 17. Uh, 19 is where I came in. Um, 17 uh, was kind of we discussed that and decisions that were made there, um, in case you you know are a little uh, behind on that. Um, but yeah, I think he's kind of the the whole attitude of everything coming leading up to and coming from the GC. He kind of considers this document and, and this annual council as an extension or or a... I don't know how to quite put maybe like a, a the culmination of all those events. Okay. Which is fine. Like, and but, I agree yeah, with that. Like he frames it like but that's still, what this was about. And that's a misrepresentation. I think like that, like I agree that it is a, an extension of all of that. Like it is a culmination of it. But that's not the, but at actual, the same time. Like that's not what happened at the 2018 gen, uh, general conference annual council. <laughs> like and this is frustrating because like to me this this sounds and i really don't want to undermine what he's trying like but i have to because this is like this is important and him getting it right is important to me like if you're calling for this and if you're calling for a revolution you need to make sure that you're above board and like or at least starting clear. off framing it is yeah at least clear because i think this is yeah, it opens you up to criticism from people who disagree with you and it's um, not criticism you you want yeah, it's it's like critique on what he's actually saying, not on and and that's the thing. 
I, I was on a committee when I was at Southern and they were talking about, and it wasn't like anything controversial. They were just going over uh, the accreditation. And so they were talking about like the goals and different things. And so I kind of had certain ideas and uh, I want to say it's David Smith. Yes. Who's the current president. Um, yes. He was there. He was the pastor of the church. He'd gone through this, uh, uh, the situation accreditation process at union when he was the president there. And he had said, well, you really don't want to give them more of a target. You want them to critique you on what you want them to critique you on. Cause if you open it up, like I was trying to open it up and be like, well, these are the things that we should be looking at. He's like, well, those are all good things. But if you say that in the document, they're going to critique you on those things. So you got to make sure that you have those. So what is it that we actually want them to critique us on? And it was like, Oh, that makes a good yeah. point. Like that's, yeah. So I kind of shut up. For, <laughs> I actually yeah, turned no, to one that was of the a great people. point. Yeah. Yeah. I actually turned to one of the, the people next to me and I'm like, why am I here again? And they're like, you're the comedic relief. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why. Uh, Cause I, I was just like <laughs> this, you know, they had English majors there who, and, and pre-law people there who were, you know, actually being like, we need to put a comma here, make sure we have this there, uh, tighten this language here. And I'm kind of like, because because this is the reality is the it was very jester. technical language. And when you're casting something like that, that's why if you look at throughout history, the people who started revolutions were always extremely verbose and usually lawyers because they understood this concept of everything you say is going to get nitpicked and brought down. And so it becomes this they, they know how to express themselves and do so in a way that that you kind of can't not critique, but they you end up critiquing what they want you to critique. And yeah, so they still control the conversation. They control the narrative. Yeah, basically. they control the narrative. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, that's you look at Lenin. Lenin could do that. And 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 when he wasn't where he failed in that, Trotsky stepped up. Stalin only took over because those two guys set the table for him. Um, you look at Martin Luther. Again, he's a lawyer, right? Who became a theologian and he was next to theologian. So all these guys who set up these kind of revolutions, uh Simeon Bolivar, all these guys they have that lawyer's mentality of I'm going to control the narrative, even if it's yeah. not necessarily true, which I don't think Michael Polite's doing, yeah. but that's why it's so you have to make sure. So I'm with you on that. Yeah. I like, I, and once again, like I'm not taking away from his overall point that there needs to be something different in the way we act and live. I just think that he's starting it off with a, with a faulty argument or a faulty yeah. premise here. Cause the comeback um, immediately is, well, yeah. that wasn't what they talked about though. Yeah, exactly. Like you missed the point then. So it, it sounds like he's reacting to something that didn't happen. It's, and it's that's bigger not bigger than just the yes. annual council. So let's keep going here. Otherwise, we're going to be here forever. Um, but uh, so he advocates for unity as harmony instead of unity as uniformity. And he actually breaks into a um, a metaphor or an example of those who are musically minded. You would know that a harmony are, is another note that resonates well with with your um, whatever, what's the, I, I'm not musically minded, but the main note that you're trying to sing. So um, a harmony works in unison with the, with the melody, but it's not meant to be the exact, exactly the same. And so he, he, he identifies this and then he talks about how unity is also not conformity. And now here's, here's something that, and I like all of that, by the way, I love all of that, right? I, we just spent five minutes critiquing something, so let's spend a minute here. No, yeah, I, I agree with that really wholeheartedly. Cool. Love it, and I've done an entire episode on We've done multiple episodes on unity versus uniformity. Big fan of this. All right, big fan of this. Then he breaks into a point, and this is just part one, um, where he says, young professional founding, our young professional founding fathers and mothers seceded from an institution that sought uniformity over unity at the sacrifice of the local mission. This statement confused me because I, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. Because <laughs> he's, he's talking about early Adventism, yeah. 100%, but I don't know what specific historical moment he's referencing. Well, I think, I think he's specifically referencing 1844. It, um, uh, but that's, that's why I go uh, over local mission. I'm like, well, that wasn't really uh, it. Yeah, but they, like that's, it, it, I, they, it was this idea of uniformity. Like they saw truth and they followed that truth. To me, that's what I would have said. Okay, is, maybe, again, and, I agree with the that, spirit, but it wasn't over local mission. It was well, over vision. My thing identity. is like because it's not clear. Like, okay, I'm an Adventist pastor. I actually still am. I'm a lay pastor now, so I'm still a pastor. Um, so 
you know, I'm a pastor. I'm someone who engages in this stuff and I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. The majority of the people that he's calling on to act probably know even less than I do. Like on, on, on yeah. average. Yeah. There are sure. definitely lay people that know way more about Adventist history than I will ever know. There are lay people that know way more Ellen White quotes than I do. Well, way more scripture than I do. We've classes so not, on it though. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm the bar. I'm just saying like in general, he's, he's talking with people who are disillusioned and disengaged. So they're not going to know offhand the references. So I wish he had included something in here referencing specifically what Specific, he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, that would have been nice. I think also the that, other thing is <clears throat> if if he had specifically tied it in with the general theme of what he's talking about. Because to me, yeah. all of a sudden it took a right turn where it's like, well, I don't think the GC is against local mission. Yeah. I think they're into – because that's the thing that, that bugs me. They're against this one specific type of local mission – but I think if we were like, we need to do, I mean, I, it, it, there's a cultural shift, which is why you, you hear things like, yeah. well, you got to watch out for worldly music or worldly, you know, worship services and stuff yep. like that. But I don't think if you were to say, we need to, we need to, you know, change up the way we do evangelism to reach people in Ohio. I don't think they, the GC would be like, no, this is terrible. I have heard that from people uh, from some of the leadership in Texas has specifically said, you will try it the good old way first. And I'm like, well, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. That's just because it's worked before. A doesn't mean it's going to work now. And B doesn't mean it was even working then, but that's not the point. Um, so I, I just wish you would have tied in with the idea of they left because they saw truth. And they followed truth rather than tradition and, and this call to uniformity. Yep. And so to me, I um, think that's that would be a true statement. And that's something that you can, again, easily defend. And everyone's like, yeah, no, that that's true. I know that. I wish he had said something to the effect in transition here of saying like, and what we are seeing now is a move or some sort of push for uniformity from our current institution. Um, or from current parts, some parts of the institution. That would have been a nice kind of bridge there. But yeah, now I'm just critiquing yeah. like his, and I'm just critiquing the script rather than, um, rather than his actual position here. Because I think so the actual, that's I, fine. I think the the big thing was just that idea of yep. like when when was this? Like we're not all yep. masters of it. It begs credulity <laughs> to yep. a degree. Ah, all right. So here's here's probably my favorite part of all of it right here. This is my favorite part. And if you are on the verge of adventism if you're on the 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 doubt side of it honestly if you're on the doubt doubting edge of any denomination this is going to resonate with you if you grew up in your faith yeah this this next section is going to be um i couldn't agree more with him couldn't echo this enough i would tweet this if it was short enough it's amazing this is what he said he said indoctrination the indoctrination we have received since childhood has been so deeply ingrained that many of us don't know what to do when we feel offended by the institution if we decide to do something new start a new movement something like that if we decide to do something new then we are leaving the remnant church and our salvation our soul salvation is in jeopardy and if we stand and fight for what we believe in we are told that protest culture has no place in God's kingdom. If we leave, we are derided. And if we stay, we are ostracized. Love that. Couldn't agree more yeah. with all of that. Um, in many cases, there are many, there, there are Adventists who are more, um, how do I want to say, it? they are more committed to the cause of Adventism, like Right, they're they're more committed to their Adventism than they are to the Jesus yeah. that um, that is behind their Adventism, and I, and so this is huge. Yeah, because the seeing best, seeing your, go ahead. No, no, I, I the you know this happens a lot in, in uh, fundamentalist churches and evangelical churches as well. If Jesus showed up today, he wouldn't be allowed in to Adventist, you know, some uh, uh, to some Adventist churches. <sighs> He'd be kicked out. I want to I want to say most. I want to say most, I'll say some Christian and Adventist churches. Um, I want to say most, I really do. But yeah, he would, he was, I mean, he was kicked out of the majority of the synagogues he was in, in his time. So that's why, not that most churches would kick him out, but I'm like, historically, Jesus didn't do well when he went inside an organization. 
Like when yep. he went up, when, when he went into structured, organized places, they usually were like, you need to get out because you're telling crazy stuff. And he's like, I'm preaching the word of God. Like you guys are the ones that don't recognize this. So yeah, Same I, with- I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, that this indoctrination has, Jesus was a rebel. Jesus was yep. the most revolutionary figure in historical ever, ever, because outside of maybe Gandhi and one could somewhat argue Karl Marx, um, even though Marx did advocate for violence, uh, he didn't advocate for violence as much as he predicted it. Um, but everybody else, like Jesus is, was the most revolutionary because he not only advocated for change and, and was revolutionary and radical in his doing it, he was radical in the sense that he not only did it from a place of peace, but he also said, now love your enemies. So he wasn't just like, yeah. we're going to use nonviolent methods. He was like, no, I want you to pray for those who persecute us. Like, I want you to go and specifically make their lives better, the people that are hurting us. Like, that's how we're going to change yeah. the world. And so, yeah, like Jesus was, he was a, you know, he was a protester. He was a, like, he was the most radical. And the funny thing is, we come from a group of A, radical historic, historical radicalists and revolutionists and reformists right? With Luther, Zwingli, um, Wycliffe, uh, you know, go down the line, you know, John William, not John Williams, sorry. Uh, um, yeah, John Williams. And anyway, all those guys, you could just go down the line and we are crazy people that just don't take the status quo. That is our heritage. And then on top of that, the founders of our church were these young kids that were like, we're just not going to take what anybody else says. And we actually had an episode on all of this where we talked about the idea of the church kind of leaves you in a state of needing the church, right? Like, uh, what was the actual title we used for that? I forget. It was, but it, but was, it, was it was a state of dependency. Yeah, state it of dependency. dependency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where the church uh, kind of leaves you dependent on itself. And I go, that's exactly what he's talking about here is this is you're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. If you see problems in the church, you can't respond to them and you also can't leave. Just shut yeah. up and get and in that's, line. I think, and, and the church has done a really poor job, I think, and this is humanity in general, but we've done a really poor job of letting people have their journey. And I think that's sad because like, even one of our friends, one of our close friends, left for 10 years. Um, and if he hadn't been allowed to have his journey, and if it wasn't for the pastor that walked with him through that entire time, um, I don't know that he'd be back here with us. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. So this is, this is one of those things where I, I couldn't echo his point more that when you feel offended, when you are hurt, like we we really don't have space. And what ends up happening is when someone does feel like they're doubting their faith, they feel like they have to disengage in order to deal with their doubts instead of engage to deal with their doubts. And that's the exact opposite of what we want, right? That's the exact opposite of what anyone struggling with their doubts should want. I think what that's he, kind of where I stand on that. Yeah. What he did super well was, and ironically, this is our first critique was he didn't, he didn't say it or express it super on the point. What he does so well here is the two descriptions at the very end. He says, if we leave, we are derided. And if we stay, we are ostracized. And I go, those are the two just, I think that that the best way to describe the millennial generation in the Seventh-day Adventist Church are those two words. Yeah. Derision. Derided or, or ostracism. Derision. Is that a word? And ostracism. Yeah, ostracism. Um, you know, when they, when they did, uh, we were talking about, and this is now, this is even old, but uh, the Barna group did a group, uh, did a study called You Lost Me about young adults, specifically in the millennial generation. They said the largest group of young adults are called nom- uh, 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 um, exiles. Nuns. Um, they're, they're exiles in their own generation where they stayed in the church, but they feel like they're in exile. They're like, I'm with my people, but I don't feel like I'm with my people. Um, the the smallest group were those, the prodigals. They've actually like straight up left. They've, they're gone. That was the, the smallest group. Um, the largest group were these exiles. And they just have this feeling of, it's not my church. I was born here, you know, in Babylon, away, exiled. And and I think that's the best way to describe kind of these millennials is, is we we were born into a generation that questions and we were born into a church that does not value questioning anymore and in fact derides it and and you feel demeaned you feel patronized you feel 
demonized to a degree yeah and and pitied um you know we've had so many friends leave the ministry and i i'm sad because they left ministry not because they left the ministry does that make sense yeah i'm sad for them because like man it sucks that you don't want to do ministry anymore, but I totally get why you don't want to do ministry in this political environment. Like I, I don't, I don't pity them. I'm not like, Oh, well they left the church. I'm like, nah, man, it just sucks. Cause like you've got so much talent. Like we're, we're, yeah. we have a loss instead of, you know, instead of like feeling, Oh, well, how dare they? Or I know they just that's didn't have what, like, faith it's, or it's, whatever. It's, like that's how I feel. But I had not like, I can't tell you how many times growing up, we were told, oh, they, they leave the ministry. They leave the ministry. And I'm like, I don't view being a pastor as a lifetime gig. I view ministry as a calling. Uh, I wasn't well, called to be a There's a lot pastor. of people that would say you should never be a pastor. Yeah. There's a lot of people that will say you should never never be one then. If your calling isn't to be a pastor, then and you that's, shouldn't be a pastor. And that's the idea. And I go, but that's, so, that's such an old school idea. It's like the apostles never did just one thing. Like that role shifted and changed so much. Paul. I mean, in his life, he did, sometimes he was evangelism, sometimes he was church planting. So, like, he took on so many different roles. He was a writer. Like, why are we only saying, like, anyway, the point is, I think he nailed it on with those two feelings, because those are the feelings that we have. We feel yeah. derided and demonized or ostracized. Definitely. And, I agree. And, and no and, ownership. Um, and you, t- you call Jesus the greatest revolutionary, and Michael Paulette agrees here. He calls him that, yep. too. So... Um, this is big. I agree with it a hundred percent. I, um, so in spirit right now, I agree with him. The one thing I wish that he had, he, um, and he is calling in this episode, he calls for the specific words he used are an apostolic revolution, the same kind of revolution that drove the apostles in act one X one to, um, to begin the movement of Christ known as the way in the old, in, in, in acts. So this Mm -hmm. is, um, so he's calling for something like that, where he wants people to be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the passion that that brings, and he wants to can, he wants them to act on that and move forward. So that that's what he calls for in the first video, right? Which, and and which, so that's part one. Yeah, which I think nobody would disagree with, right? I mean, even conservatives Everyone wants revival. Yeah, and even conservatives and, and well, uh, he's conservative. Even traditionalists, like the uber right wing traditionalists, are, are they're like, yeah, we want apostolic revolution. Where I think he really deviates is the second video on how he views that apostolic revolution. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's talk about part two. Let's talk about part two. So part two is shorter, and part two is where it gets practical. So part one is the background and the actual call. Part two is the call to action and the specifics the uh, yeah. of, of how this actually plays out. Now, so I'm not going to go how? into specific. Yeah. So he calls um, he calls for three things. And I think Tony and I both are good with two out of three of these. Um, and take a see if you can take a guess uh, to figure out which of I mean, which of the three that I'm about to list. But um, yeah, we'll, also, we'll just Tony, go through. I'm not. Uh, I'm, <laughs> In theory, yeah, well, I'm good with all three. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I think the it's degree the way that it's called that, yeah, for. Yeah, I think the degree and the... I'm okay with... I'm I'm straight up, like, I'm down for one. The other two, I'm like... Ah. Well, anyway, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, part, uh, part two is uh, more practically outlines three ways in which viewers or those that are... Uh, those are watching these videos can join this Adventist revolution. The first one is this. We must become intolerant of institutional justice. We must become intolerant of institutional injustice. 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 Yeah. We're Sorry, good with yes, institutional injustice. justice. Yeah. Yeah. We must become intolerant of institutional injustice. Yeah. So the, the, the point here is when the institution is uh, discriminating against anyone is... Um, so the the kind of underlying message here would be women's ordination currently, but there's systemic racism in Michael Polite's history of fighting against. So that would be another implied thing that he's calling for, or I mean, calling against is uh, as an injustice. Uh, is we yeah, must he, become he intolerant it, of. Go ahead. No, yeah, he keeps it pretty general, like you were saying. You know, like yeah. it's just kind of any type of injustice that's done to anyone. Yeah. So. Uh, then he says, we must, number two, we must value and maximize the power of our influence. 
we must value and maximize the power of our influence. So that is talking about our voice activating. I think the word he uses here is activating our yeah, voices yeah, um, yeah. and speaking out and getting involved in speaking out. Um, and so this is this is talking about engaging with the local level. This is talking about getting involved. This is talking about using Twitter and, and climbing the ranks and, and not not tw- climbing the ranks of Twitter, but climbing the ranks in the church and getting um, getting involved at the ground level yeah, and moving social up. media, so this is everything. Yeah, at all levels. Good call. Yeah, good call. All right, and then number three, we must take a renewed interest in the role and responsibility of our investments. So those are the big three, and the, you can see why um, you can see why we might disagree with that last one. Now, knowing that Tony and I uh, both, I, well, I'm funded by tuition dollars. Like that's my paycheck. But at one point I was funded by tithe dollars. Tony, you were funded by tithe dollars as a sponsored person in seminary. So like here's, okay. So he calls for a renewed interest in the role and responsibility of our investments. And what he basically says is stop tithing, <laughs> stop sending money to the institution that is causing these injustices yeah. or carrying out yeah. these injustices. He specifically goes, he, he specifically calls out, I'm not just talking about time or energy. I'm specifically talking about financial. And so I was like, I was good with it until you did that. And then the other thing he specifically says is, um, I'm, I'm specifically talking about removing tithe from the local mission. And I was like, okay, he's not wrong. He says it's unbiblical. There's not a biblical basis for putting tithe in a central storehouse and all that. And I'm like, you're wrong. There was, um, there's, I mean, it's the Levites, like that's in the book of Leviticus, but not for the local church, not in the new Testament. And I agree with that part where like, they didn't like give to like a one central place, um, you know, it stayed in Corinth or it stayed there. It's, you know, the only time, the only biblical example we have is when, and I can't remember which city and it's killing me, but I, I want to say it's maybe Ephesus where there was an earthquake and, 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 the, and the, the church was really struggling and they took funds. Um, people in Jerusalem, all the church came together and they sent funds out to help with that relief. That's the only biblical example we have of, of central location going out. So that part I've been like, all right, well, I'm, Technically, you're correct, um, but I just, yeah, I th- I just think he goes too far with that. And again, I know I'm biased, you know, but okay. But let's let's explain why we're yeah, biased. Here, yeah. Which, by the way, Tony, if you can do me a favor and back off your mic by like an inch. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Yeah. You're you're okay. I'm a little hot. So I'm a little hot. Yeah. You're a little hot. Um. So the reason that I struggle with this. Because in theory, this is this is like in theory, this is correct. Yeah. If the organization is doing something you don't approve of, you withhold your money because your money money talks, right? We do this with Starbucks, we do this with every organization. Companies are driven by their mm. income. And so the way to get them to do what you want is to is to make their is to hurt their profits. Cool. Makes sense. The problem, and this is I don't know if this is genius on the part of Adventism or not genius. But here's the the problem with withholding tithe from the central storehouse, regardless of whether that central storehouse is biblical or not, because you could argue that logistically it wasn't even possible in biblical times, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Not at, at least not the way that it, it happens in our you know in our system I, today. Sending yeah. money transfers. They didn't have thing, churches right? like currency exchange rates, all that. Yeah. They don't, yeah. It's not the same, right? But here's the thing: by withhold tithe pays everyone. Tithe pays church pastors, it pays administrators, which means that it pays for the things that you agree with and the things you disagree with. So by withholding, because of the things that you disagree with, you are now hurting the things that you agree with. So you're hurting, like, let's talk about, okay, let's talk about, you want to champion women's rights, and you want to champion women's, or, and this is this is going to be hard, because I don't even know how to answer the question I'm about to bring up, Right. There are 49 ordained pa- women pastors in in the North American division right now and there are um and there are many more women pastors in general. If you want to withhold your tithe from the GC because they w- don't want to ordain women, you are now withholding money that affects the paychecks of the women that are already employed by the church, including the 49 ordained ones. 
So there's this, there's like, I don't know how to answer that, that, that dichotomy here, but either way, like you are, um, by, by trying to hurt the organization, you're also hurting the people that are on the same side as you. Yeah. Michael polite can call for this because he's not paid by tithe. He's paid by tuition dollars that go through Andrews is my assumption because as a, as a member, as an employee of the university, at Southern, it's the same. However, because he's a chaplain, that may not be the case. I don't. So know. I have yeah. to take back my statement. I have to take back that statement. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't I know. Have and um, either way, like even if even if he was paid by tithe and he's calling for that, right? He's to be fair that that would be more self sacrificial. Sure, he's saying like, mm, but like, is he though? Yeah, because w- he's saying because he's because then his. I mean, which church is going to support him? His own local church. So if he has a like a eighteen church district that yeah. hurts him, yeah. but not if he's got a decent sized church, which like, he does. So you you like listen. The first people to go in this system when tithe gets shortened is district pastors. Yeah. Is, my, is my assumption. Yeah. Is the is is like the 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 quote unquote lowest of the totem pole. So you're calling by hold, withholding tithe. You're saying that my position just even a year ago as a district pastor, you're like you're you're hurting me. Now, I wouldn't I think your church yeah, your church is not paid for you, I think, but yeah. No, no, no they couldn't. Oh, they 100% couldn't. Oh, no, they never mind. Couldn't. Never nope. mind, I take it back. Um, yeah. Nope. So like but that's that's my point, right? Like yeah. this is this is the the, the 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 struggle or the tension that exists between how you give out your funds. And this is my problem with that. Um you're hurting the people you agree with too. You're hurting the people that have done nothing wrong unless you consider working for the organization something wrong. So that's that's my struggle with this. I agree that we should take a renewed interest in the role and responsibility of our investments. Yeah, and I believe yeah, that exactly. also means like I do mean that I do think that means giving more to the local mission, but that doesn't mean you withhold tithe. Yeah. It means you give more to the things that you want to yeah. see happen. Well, you know I, what else I think? And mm-hmm. you have the ability to mark what your donation is for, so your church legally can only use the funds for certain for what things. They want. Yeah, for for what you have donated yep. for. Yeah, so like. It's not even like you're at risk of your money being mismanaged. And if it is, you can sue. So, <laughs> like, take your pick there. Well, um, I, I wouldn't recommend that because no, the biblical but, 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 yeah, like, but God, God knows. First off, first off, there's a greater, as Christians, there is a bigger force that is watching this. So if you think that people, quote unquote, got away with mismanaging funds or whatever, mm, they might not have gotten their punishment right now. But believe you me. They will get what they is will. coming to them. Yeah. Like, yeah. God is not mocked. So, yeah. I, I like the wording. We must take a renewed interest in the role and That's responsibility that, of exactly. like, All right. I love that wording. I think it, it communicates like you should be involved in the church that is using the money you're giving it. All right. Yeah. I, and you should be tracking with what they're doing. You should be advocating for what you want to advocate for. Fully and wholly back that. I'm not okay with just blanketly or tacitly saying, we should we should redirect what is our tithe into the local mission or the local congregation. Now there are advantages and disadvantages to it too, because like technically for what is I I, I think um, there's a there's a talk that Tim Gillespie did on the future of Adventism at Boulder Church, and he talked about how um, in in I think it was in his conference. I don't know every conference that has this, but your basically your church has to have a minimum amount of tithe given before you can have a pastor. And that number, so like, I think it's like four, it's $200,000, I think, for the first pastor. $400,000 is is the set that he was giving from his experience, right? So $200,000 for the first pastor, $400,000 for the second pastor, $800,000 for the third pastor, and then it's $1.2 million, I think. So like it keeps increasing, it exponentially increases. It doesn't just, it doesn't, um, like it just keeps doubling instead of actually rising and making sense. Whereas your church, if it was just being given all that money locally, could hire for cheaper. Yeah, um, it's one point. I think so it's one point six for. Um, yeah, one point six for a th- for a fourth. For the fourth, yeah, because I think it's yeah. it's it's two four and then eight and then one point six. So it's like a it it yeah it doubles after the second pastor every time. Yeah. So that and that's that's so I get like it can actually be more cost effective to keep more things local. That's fine if that's the case. Then we need to advocate for a new system of handling our money. That which I get that that's a much bigger battle. Don't get uh, like oh well that's unrealistic. Um, I don't think anything is necessarily unrealistic within the realm of faith. But 
outside. Yeah. And I'm not saying like, if you have enough faith, that'll work. I'm just saying like, we work and we reform. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, like that's just how that works. So, um, and, but that tithe is the reason that a lot of local people are getting work done. Yeah. I think the other thing is as we get more, this is the only thing I will say in defense, not defense of it, but it's the only thing I will say that will slightly maybe possibly agree with, with his feeling as the church, as society grows more metropolitan, which it is about 80% of the U S lives in major cities now, as it grows more metropolitan, our mission should switch from the country to the cities. And as much as I love our brethren that live in these tiny little towns and I'd respect them, I think we are wasting pastors in places that don't have any growth potential. Um, it, it's I mean, waste I mean, is yes a strong no, word. That I was going to say is a strong word. I don't feel, but like, just because the church is small, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying small church. I'm saying you can have a small church in a big city. Like I grew up in a tiny little church, but it was a city of 85,000 people and it was growing at the time. And even though we were a small church, there was a lot of growth potential there. My problem is you have churches of 20 people in cities of 800 people. Are there souls there that are just as precious? Yes. Should they get a pastor? That's a questionable statement. Okay, but see, like, okay, and, and that's and the like, only as thing I would who say. Pastored, okay, that's but as someone who pastored those, this is this is where we disagree. Then, yep. because as someone who just pastored that, people come up to me and completely, um, what's the word I want here? Um, denigrate uh, uh, something. They they basically. Um, insult the quality or the, necess- the necessity of the work that I did over the last two years. And they say, man, you were just wasted in that district. You have so much more potential. And, you know, you were just wasted putting in that district that wasn't that wasn't going to do anything. And my thought is like, cool. So we're just going to abandon our our people in those places. Like we're just going to abandon them and not take care of them and not. Um, I don't necessarily think we're wasting pastors. I do think we're wasting a lot of money. But I think, like, in other words, I think we should reapproach those churches and say, hey, we're here to, yes, actually serve this community and grow it and whatever, but our focus is going to be in these cities where people are, like, I, I, I feel I like we can have some reality. honest yeah. conversations. I, I think that's I, Yeah, what I think we can have some honest conversations, the idea but I'm not necessarily a fan of... Every like, pastor needs you, a church. I think we need to reevaluate that. First yeah. off, I think there's too but, much reliance on a pastor. And the pastor's role, as we've talked about many times, it needs to be an educator yeah. But to me, again, when I go back to, and this is beyond, because I want to make sure we're not talking out of both sides of our mouth, because we just had an episode a few, a few uh, weeks ago where we talked about why it was good for the, for for tithe parity, in the U.S. Uh, or the North American division. But let me let me let me make a difference. What we are saying here is not that we're an advocate for. I don't. I, I believe that we need to support our outside churches. And that's why the system is the way it is. We would have stayed. This is, this is the problem with community churches where their tie stays in. They are never bigger than their community. Yes, they might grow big in that community, but they are never bigger than that community. And as a world church, we are called to send the Adventist, like it's in our name, go out and spread the Adventist message. Make sure everybody knows we're coming. I agree with that. And the only way we could logistically do that is having a central tithe house because up until maybe 15 years ago, South America, the majority of it was not self-sustaining. And still to this day, the majority of our divisions are not self-sustaining. They don't make enough money to keep going. It's in the sense of to have their buildings and have the, you know, to do the things that they need to do. They're not self-sustaining. They don't have that. The, the, the economies aren't good enough for, for a variety of reasons. I'm not getting into the politics of why, but they're just not. That's just the reality. And I don't think we should abandon them. However, when we talk about this idea of rebringing tithe back, I'm talking about tithe parity. So I'm not saying the, the U.S. shouldn't give more. I'm saying as far as tithe parity, all right, this is the requirements of uniformity that now we all give an equal amount. What I what the the difference between that and this is 
they're saying we shouldn't get what Michael Pillay is essentially saying is we should not give to the division and the union at all. And I understand that I have a bias. My dad works at the division before that he worked at a union. But understand, if I thought my dad didn't do anything important, I would absolutely say the unions are useless. The divisions, the officers and all that, it's useless. Why do we even have them? But the truth is they do incredibly important work. Work that does not get seen at the local level most times because they're of the distance, but they do a lot. Don't think they don't. It's a different type of role. It's not as hands-on, um, although I think that now that's starting to change. But divisions do a lot. So there is a lot there. They, I think it's necessary. And beyond that, I think it's important, the structure that we have, if we burn it all down to the ground, and this is the one problem with revolutions is that you burn everything to the ground only to realize to build it back up and have the exact same system you had. I think we should improve the system we have, which is why I advocate, like I was saying, I'm, I'm cool with making sure there's no injustice and making sure that, you know, we have a renewed interest in our investments. But I think the degree and the way that he takes is like, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's the answer. See, and that's and that's my thing. Like, I'm a big fan of what he's trying to do. I'm a big fan of I just think the specifics getting more involved. Yeah, like I feel like our issue is not at all with what he's doing as a, in purpose or in spirit. I feel like our issue with what he's doing completely has to do with language, and like that's and and someone can can like the way that he's except for that last point because that last point he actually calls for something very specific. But as far as like yeah. the, like the way that he sets some of this up, I think that that's where our our big issues are right. is the way that he says things. And like, that's someone could say like, that's pretty nitpicky of us. But if you're calling for something on this level, you need to cover your bases. And and I'm not going to be seen as just piggybacking on any liberal movement that happens in this church yeah. either. So, well, and, listen, and, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of what this is. And yeah. anyone, there was a third video that came out of different test people's testimony saying why they're joining yeah. the Adventist revolution. Fan of that video as well. Fan of every single person that I recognized He's in that video. Spirit. And yeah, and of, yeah like I, like, and I love what they're trying to do. This call for engagement, this call to get involved and to make a difference. Like I'm such a big fan of that. And I don't want to take away yeah. from that or steal anyone's fire. It's not that at all. I think ev that's my entire point of doing this and several of the other projects I do is to increase engagement yeah, yeah. into and our church. Anything that does that we're a fan of. Yeah, like that's the thing. I just I want to and I want to see this be successful. I just don't know that I want to see it be successful this way. That's that's kind well, of my I, I concern. Feel, I think it won't be, and I think that's why I'm I'm so very careful to say I love the spirit of it, but the details, the devil's in the details. God and the devil are both in the details. Um, I want to make sure that all that energy that's created is is funneled into the correct. In the, in the yeah. most, yeah, like to me, again, that's why I said, I do think we need to have some honest conversations about where our money goes. I'm, I'm down with that because 80% of people are living in cities, but the majority of Adventists are not. Yeah. So I think we need to start having some honest conversations about how this is working as far as in the NAD. I don't know enough about outside of that. But I, but I really think that the importance of this when it comes to we must be intolerant of institutional justice – huge fan of that. I think that's important. But at the same time, we need to make sure that anything that says intolerance is very, very carefully done. Um, if you want to do surgery and cut out the bad parts, you have to use a scalpel, not a machete, right? You know, because then you, you can't just go yeah. hacking around. Any surgeon will tell you that it requires precision. Um, same thing with the, the renewed interest in role. I, I think energy and time and, and all of that. Um, and you know, I've called this several times, you know, to me, I think the, the, the most underappreciated and underused tool we have in the Adventist church is our deacons. And it's like, Hey, we've got these guys that are, they can be doing visitations and Bible studies and all of this. And instead we're just like, well, open up the church and set up for potluck. And what? So those are the things that I'm, I'm good for, but the spirit of it, this is what I appreciated. I want to kind of end my session on this. His motivation and spirit is one of get angry and involved. He does it's righteous indignation. He doesn't call for leaving. 
he doesn't call for blanket sweeps and and you know we will make he's not calling for anyone's he's jobs. not calling for anyone's calling. jobs he's not he never named anybody to me that's a huge one he didn't name anybody mm-hmm. he said this isn't since systematic institutional issue that we need to fix by getting involved and i go absolutely that i am 100 percent behind well and and i agree with you absolutely 100 percent. and and michael if you hear this episode and you've listened to this point because and you're probably going like oh i need to talk with these guys and clarify all of this cool you're welcome to we'd Please. love to have you yeah. on if you're listening to this but we want you to know like we support what you're doing yep we we really do and we support i support what you're doing at andrews i support what you're doing in all of the conversations you've had and what i've tracked i've never talked with you personally if you're listening to this but you know that's big um my and my thing too there's another there's another point to be said about this which is had he been perfectly uh commute like had he communicated all this perfectly and with without the kind of the harsh words um there's the argument to be made that this wouldn't have actually called anyone to action so i remember sitting in class at southern once we were reading a russell burrell book and our professor kind of uh described russell burrell as this way because a lot of students were reacting to some of the words we read in russell burrell's books um they were reacting harshly like like he's taking way too harsh of a stance on this and basically um what what our professor argued was sometimes you like if you want to pull a carriage or a cart somewhere, you have to go before the cart. Like you have to go further than the cart to get the cart where you want it to be. And that's what Russell Burrell is doing. There's the argument to be made here that what Michael Polite is calling for is so radical that many people won't actually go the entire way. They won't go the full, the full steps to do it, or they won't buy so fully into the vision that they lose sight of anything. Instead, they'll get involved to a certain percentage or a certain degree and where they actually get involved and where they tend to, where that cart actually ends up stopping ends up being the place that it needed to stop. And I think there is that there is some validity to that, but at the same time, it's completely speculative validity. Like there's no way for me to quantifiably prove that, that that's his motive or that that's going to be the, the case. And in many ways, me talking about that is the cat out of the bag on it and may actually <laughs> shoot that in the foot too. Um, some of some things you just kind of hope people catch on to instead of actually saying them. But like, I want to be as fair as possible here. I know we've been hard on him, but I agree with you. He didn't call for anyone's head. He didn't call anyone's name. He didn't, he said we need, and he didn't call for anyone to leave. And, and, and in fact, he called for more money to funnel into the church technically. Yeah. Yeah. So like, which again, that's, I, I that's support. Huge. Yeah. Like I, I was like, yeah, like, yeah, great. it was just a like, little thing of like, ah, great. Uh, yeah, I, I was I, like, ah, so close. I, I think, I think in order to do what God has called us to do as a church, we, we do need a central t- storehouse. That's the only part that I kind of was like, ah, yeah, I think we do need to, because otherwise we won't be bigger than, than the, those individual communities. Yep. So like that's I think I think that's a good place to kind of end on. We'll end this episode a little bit earlier. Yeah. Um, but this this um look, watch those videos, get engaged, do that. And and on that note, actually, as I kind of walk this out, bef- this is before the outro, so don't leave if you listen to the outro. Or if you if you always skip the outro, right? This is not the outro. Myself and a friend of mine are working on a new project. Um, and it's not um it's not officially released. Branding hasn't been actually established for it, so I can't say more than this. But we are working on a new project that helps make all of this stuff way more accessible to you in the palm of your hand. So, look, be on the lookout for that over the next couple of months. That's all I can say about it right now. But I'm really excited about it because I think it'll solve a lot of the problems that I've been dealing with and and running into in regards to accessibility to what's going on in the Adventist world. So take a look for that. Be on the lookout for it. Tony knows a little bit about it, but. I, um, I'm 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 wondering if I do. I want to do a quick shout out, uh, by the way, to a third member of our team. Are we allowed to do that? No, 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 okay, no, no, no. Nope, nope. But we are grateful to have this person on board. Yay. Okay, that never is, mind. Cool. Uh, <laughs> um, so we are, we are very grateful for this person. There are reasons that we can't give a shout cool. out. Then we're very we grateful. grateful for them. You know who you are. Um, so yes. Um, but if you listen to this, uh, this podcast on iTunes, please leave a review. You can subscribe on any podcatching app. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email me Ryan one eight zero Becker at gmail.com, or you can, uh, find me on Twitter, Ryan one eight zero Becker or Tony, Tony underscore Anobili, A N O B I L E. So that is how you can find us or Tony. What's your actual, like you, what's your name on Twitter? Uh, the new Dr. Jones, or you can email me at Antonio a at andrews.edu. 
So there you go. Um, cat's out of the bag. Tony's at Andrews, if you didn't know. So, <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. but thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support financially, patreon.com slash absurdity podcast. We'll see you guys next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.